This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. If you work as a cybersecurity leader, you might have the sentiment that compliance sucks. The traditional manual requests such as screenshots, spreadsheets, long meetings with auditors, really it's not a great experience. But luckily there's ByteCheck, a platform designed to make compliance suck less. With ByteCheck, you can establish your security program, automate your readiness assessment, and complete your SOC 2 examination faster, all from one single platform. Built with a robust set of integrations that connect to apps you use every single day. The ByteCheck integrations eliminate traditional manual evidence requests. The ByteCheck platform is powered by the ByteCheck engine, which automatically assesses your controls against audit and security best practices. ByteCheck is founded by cybersecurity and accounting industry leaders with a combined experience of over 30 years. That knowledge is ingrained into the ByteCheck engine to provide you with a quality report that meets applicable standards. If you're in the market for a SOC 2, we have a special limited time offer for Hacker Valley Studio listeners. You can get 50% off their annual subscription to the ByteCheck platform and a free readiness report from the ByteCheck team. Reach out to ByteCheck at www.bytecheck.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. This is a limited time offer, so get it while you can. In this episode, we have the brilliant Dr. James Stanger. And in this episode, we take a bit of a journey through time, the past, present, and future of cybersecurity. Without further ado, let's get right to this exciting episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again here in the studio. Today, our special guest is Dr. James Stanger. He is the chief technology evangelist at CompTIA. I know that you're a fan of scuba diving and many other things, and I can't wait to jump into this conversation and get to know your background a bit more. But most importantly, welcome to the show, James. Hey, thanks, man. It's good to be here at Hacker Valley. Hello, everyone out there in Podcastville. Is that what we call it these days? <laughs> That's it, Podcastville. <laughs> James, you've been so gracious sharing some time in the spotlight on all of your platforms, but we had to bring you on to ours to return to favor. For the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Hey, thanks, man. I, uh, over the years, it's been, as far as my background is concerned, I remember back when I was young, like when dinosaurs were you know, roaming the earth along with and all my favorite classic rock acts. I thought I would either get into computing, get into that, that's what they called it back then, or into English literature. And I, I decided to go into English literature because I said, hey, why not make no money? You know, so, <laughs> but uh, I got a, what, a PhD back in the 90s uh, in, I call it my PhD in unemployment. But, oh. and then that same week, I got a job as a technical editor. And over the weeks, as I was editing the, the folks that were, it was programming books, it was security books, thing, what passed for security back then. And I went into my boss and I went, I'm actually starting to write this stuff because it was written by programmers or it was written by people who just weren't writers. They weren't interested in it. And so it was interesting to combine those two fields. You're looking at somebody who combines things in very strange and arduous and weird ways because that seems to be how life works. I remember one of the first gigs I ever got hired. I say gig. I got hired onto by 
who is it? Tahara El Gamal, the El Gamal key exchange algorithm or whatever. And he's, he, the, the whole group said, look, James, you've got great security skills. That's fine. But we really need you to write this stuff up because we don't know what <laughs> to do. A uh, bit of background I've, uh, as chief technology evangelist. I spent a lot of time talking to IT pros such as yourselves. And, uh, and I used to anyway, go around the world physically talking to folks about hiring managers, CIOs, CISOs. I do a lot of it now via Zoom and webcast, et cetera, like that. So it's a lot of fun working for CompTIA because I'm able to combine my background with, which is a lot in education and done a lot of work with universities, developing curriculum for them, a lot of certifications, golly, but, and education programs worked with IBM over, for example, Symantec, Western Governors University. It's been fun even working with Cambridge University in the UK and others. And, but really working with a lot of corporations, large and small, about cybersecurity and what that means these days, how that's evolved and morphed over the years. From education and English literature to technical writing, now to chief technology evangelist, that's a crazy transition. Much respect there for going through it, because I'm sure you've probably been behind a lot of documentation efforts. And I know that you've created a lot of courses too. You've done a lot of training and courses and even been a practitioner. So what kind of questions are companies and individuals asking you now that you have this holistic view? What are were they most interested in getting out of you and the services that you provide? A lot of companies, a couple of things. One, I do get, yeah, I even skipped, I skipped over, forgive me, for the practitioner side of it. So I've done a lot of work, whether it be in uh, a little bit of threat hunting, a lot of pen testing, and a whole lot of analytics, big time in the blue team side of things. But what are companies looking for? There are a couple of things. One, there are companies, and some of them quite big, who are like, look, it's been the wild west for years and it's time for us to put things on some to pave the road as it were to go from a trail to at least a dirt road to some sort of paved road in other words how do we upskill our people that's one of the things that i hear day in and day out various what's the word mutations of that whole idea how do we get started because there's so many companies they spend a lot of time and money some of them do upskilling workers and they can't figure out how to metricize it how to make that work. So there are a lot of conversations I have about where is there a logical pathway that we can make scalable, that we can make sustainable instead of sending somebody to that $15,000 class taught by whatever guru, can we actually get people to upskill themselves? So I get a lot of that. The other thing I hear a lot is companies are finding with this emerge, I like to call it emerged technology rather than emerging because emerging technology folks, it's like, oh yeah, that'll be with us in three to five years. Have you heard that guys before? Absolutely. AI will be with us in three to five years. It's like, guys, AI was with us 30 to 30 years ago that we just, it's just <laughs> that each time you implement it, it's no longer AI anymore in people's minds because AI always has to be some sort of futuristic thing that's on the horizon. Trust me, it's been with us a long time, but I'm just picking on AI, whether it be blockchain. That, that's not here in three to five years. It's out there. You can go to AWS or Azure and, and get it going with a couple of clicks and a Visa card. So what I'm hmm. noticing is a lot of companies, as they implement big data, we don't call that anymore, business analytics, as they implement all this emerging technologies, they're trying to figure out where security is in all that. And the answers come from, let's move to the cloud so you don't have to worry about security anymore, which I love that answer. And it also moves from people trying to apply old school kind of 10 years ago thinking 
to new school ways of computing. So it's interesting to see, to be asked questions about that delta and how to handle that. I can tell you've spent a lot of time communicating with folks and also educating them. When you're thinking about emerging technologies, we quite often bring up the fact that mental agility is one of the most important things you need to have as a practitioner. What are you telling folks today to ensure that they are able to pivot when that time comes from a technological perspective? That's a great question. One of the first things I talk about is uh, I'm just quoting somebody from, I think it was, I'm trying to remember who it was, person from the GDIT or maybe it was somebody from HPE saying, time and time again, I don't have workers who have the essentials down, not the basics but the essentials down. And I, I can pick on maybe just under, understanding how the different internet protocols work. IPv4, IPv6, TCP handshake, TLS, the essentials, because understanding 2FA or MFA, whatever, understanding the essentials of those things. Too often they get workers who have stampeded into one area, but they have skipped over a few things. I'll give you a quick and dirty story. One time I was talking to somebody who really, she knew more about cryptography than I probably will ever know. She has a mathematical brain and I did go into English literature because I'm not sure math even exists. <laughs> the scary thing for me. But all kidding aside, I was interesting in that, this is years ago, and we were doing something together on, on a project. And she's like, hey, I need to log into that server. And I'm like, go get them. And she's I can't seem to do it. And she didn't know the three-fingered salute to get into, uh, right? And the reason I tell that story is, again, she's way brighter than I am, but she just didn't know some of the fundamentals. And that's a real crude kind of example. But I think if we have people who know the fundamentals as things get not lifted and shifted to the cloud, but move to the cloud in your organization or into some environment that you're not quite familiar with, the fundamentals still apply. Uh, It's just that they look a little bit different. And so I think that's one of the things that's, that is one of the messages that I've taken away. And over time, the fundamentals are, are changing quite a bit. So for me, when I first got started, it was about really getting the networking fundamentals under your belt, which is still very helpful today. But now it's like you have to focus on the cloud fundamentals also when starting out in cybersecurity or even the technology industry as a whole. It's been interesting to see how I was talking to an organization, I won't name the organization, but they, they do airplanes. I'll say that. And it was interesting where they, it was really cool to go into this environment and talk with them and check out, I'll call it the schematic of the network and the information flow, because they were using mainframes that had been paid for sometime in the 70s or 80s. They were using client server, they were using end-tier stuff and cloud stuff, all working together actually quite well. <laughs> and it was my, my, what you said just triggered that thought there because there's so many platforms that you have to learn. And I don't know if there are people long in the tooth enough to go back to the mainframe days all the way to now, but that's the environment that we see in a lot of larger organizations. And so those fundamentals actually in a way, oh, those different generations are being used and the concepts remain the same. You just have to figure out how the new tune is sounding. Definitely. And before we actually hit record, you mentioned something that I I hadn't heard of before, but you said ambient computing. Uh, What is that and how does that relate to emerging technology? It's one of those it's one of those buzz phrases that people will use to try to sound hip. I, I desperately try to sound hip, and it never works. But the, the whole idea that I like about that buzz phrase of ambient computing, 
is the idea that as in the future, not in the future, I see, I just fell into the hole there, guys. What we're seeing is that as we walk down the street with our smartphones or our wearable smartwatch or whatever IoT device that is near us or is on us, the idea is that we are going to be processed and boxed off. You could talk about a geofence, Google, what that is, the idea of a using GPS or RFID or whatever to identify a geographic boundary. And then as you and I, I'll say you, Chris, and, and me walk down the street and go from one geographic geofence area to another, the data that we generate is going to be processed. And then they'll do a predictive analytics, of course, on us. What are they more likely to buy uh, or more likely to do or whatever? And the, these days, are we contact tracing or things like that? And ambient computing means it's in the air, ambient, ambient. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that as we are doing our thing day to day, in what way is that data that we generate captured on the edge networks, let's say, and then finally makes its way to a data center or to the cloud? But how is that processed? And that idea of ambient computing means that we're basically entering into a, a, a hyper-information age or a post-information age where with AI, with m machine learning and various things, the fancy storage that we have, the, the buckets in the cloud and all that, what can be done with that data to turn into information? And so with ambient computing is, is used to describe the combination of IoT, artificial intelligence, and fancy data analytics. Uh, that's uh, that's the definition I'll go with today on that. You know, that sounds pretty scary to a lot of folks that may not realize if they're listening to this show, they should definitely know that there's more and more data about ourselves, our neighbors, our families, our companies that's really going up into this nebulous cloud of information that is the internet. What is the best thing that we can do from an ethics perspective in order to combat this emerging sort of nebulous cloud of information? What can we do to use this information for good rather than profit? Well, that's a great question because I think uh, that organizations very much, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not going to speak for organizations whether they want to act ethically or not. <laughs> we can talk about that all day long, but organizations that are going to use data definitely want to be seen if they're acting ethically. They also want to be seen that they are acting properly, that they are protecting the information that they're gathering from or the data that they're gathering from you and from me. And then they also want to be seen as that they're storing it properly. And so as IT professionals, more and more, we need to understand the privacy implications and the legal, the governance, the compliance, the, that kind of, those ramifica the ramifications of that. So I think moving forward as cybersecurity professionals, as much as I love geeking out and grabbing out a version of uh, Security Onion or Alien Vault or something like that, or Splunk, I think it's really important to understand things from a business compliance and a mapping of technologies to what a business does. And so more and more as IT professionals, to keep companies acting ethically or to keep companies moving forward with confidence, however you want to work that or think about that, I think we need to be seen as business consultants and act as business consultants. And act in some ways that say, look, here's how you can manage the risk of gathering all that data, turning it into information, and then acting on it. And we, as security professionals, have the opportunity anyway to be the curators of that data or the at least the custodians of that data to say, yeah, we know it's stored. We know that hackers didn't get into it and manipulate it. Things like that, I think, will be part of that discussion. But the idea of, as security professionals, 
how do we actually act ethically, act properly? It's a great, it's a great question because I think it's pretty easy to start crossing lines. The old examples of pen testers gone bad, there's that, yeah. or security analysts gone bad. But from a privacy perspective, what does it mean as an IT professional to say, yes, company, you can do that. It is technically possible to do this with the data that we've gathered. Should you do that? And can you do that legally? Can you do that ethically? Those are going to be a lot of the questions moving forward and a, and a lens that I think IT professionals need to be prepared to look through. I love that answer, especially the part where you started talking about analysts, engineers, we need to be business consultants. Me and Chris, we recently did a course on, it's called Introduction to Easy Framework, but we really take the requirements that were driven by business decisions or outcomes, weaknesses, opportunities, and taking the requirements and marrying that into implementation rather than just jumping straight into something that you've seen that looks really awesome. And it might not have any business value. It might not be measurable. It might not be something that someone can maintain if you were to take some time off. So it's uh, super important to look at it from the business analyst perspective. What are some areas of opportunity that you see from approaching cybersecurity from a business consultant perspective? Sure. What we found is, uh, has, has, and it's a great summary, Ron, really. I, I wish I could uh, speak that well. I like that. One of the, Thank you. <laughs> one of the things that I've noticed is that, that we've noticed at CompTIA, we do uh, a lot of research. I think a lot of people know CompTIA from the, uh, okay, you do those certifications, which is a big deal for us. It's important. Uh, it's important for the industry. But we also do a tremendous amount of research associated with those certs, but also really independent of it. And the research that we showed was that showed us was that companies that want that are becoming more and more profitable are leveraging artificial intelligence. So this is my way of artificial intelligence first. And that's for the first time that showed up as the number one skill that companies are looking for. And the number one area that they're worried is the wrong word, but that they are uh, interested in making sure it remains secure and that it remains reliable. Kind of two different things in a sense. And I don't mean reliable in terms of available or availability in the, the five nines and all that. I'm talking about what about bias as it comes in from an IT perspective and from a data science perspective. We see various biases working in, however those work in, whether it be race bias or gender bias, all the, those types of things. That's a, a major concern and a major area of interest because they companies are seeing that as it, was, it was half of the companies that we saw, I think it's about 48%, were saying that the, that the only way that they're going to really be able to morph themselves properly and adjust to the market is by using AI. Second was IoT. Additional things were, believe it or not, leveraging 5G uh, technologies. That all goes back to that ambient computing idea that you gather as much data as you possibly can. And so from a security perspective, on a technical level, yeah, we need people who can say, how can we secure those 5G uh, nodes from various forms of spoofing and people taking them over and things like that? I think as many nodes as there are in 5G, I think ransomware could become an issue there, personally, because a lot of those nodes are so created. I'm geeking out here, sorry. No, it's great. They're, they're created, I think, there's going to be so many of them. We drive down the road and we see the, occasion, the occasional 4G tower, don't we? 5G nodes are everywhere. And I can't help but think of monocultures. In other words, yeah, we got all the, the nodes created, the 5G 
firmware created, and we're gonna, we've got 300 of them we're going to drop in your neighborhood. That's 300 devices that probably have the same firmware. And I'll bet you five bucks, <laughs> a whole five bucks, that some companies will be going quickly when they develop that firmware and the software that runs those things. If you know what I'm trying to say, they're going to incur technical debt or they're going to incur, they're, they're going to, it's going to be a problem. That's what I just can't help but think that. Maybe I'm wrong. We've already seen the controversy about whether it be, help me out, is it Huawei and all that? Slightly different point, but I think that's one of the technical sides of things. But I think that the companies that want to move forward want to use these technologies, but they don't want to get stung by them. Either being accused of, oh, you're using data that is discriminatory. They don't want to, and they don't want to be doing it. And they also want to make sure that as they use these emerging technologies, that they're not bringing a Trojan horse into their company. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways I've read from some of the CompTIA research is how can security professionals identify, yeah, you don't want to use that, or identify and say, yeah, there are risks here, and here's the security controls or the procedures, the people that we need to put in place to make sure that bad things don't happen. Maybe I'm speaking a little broadly there, but that seems to be where most companies are right now. No, I love that. And in fact, I'd like to double down on that a bit and ask you, if we had a magic wand, a Hacker Valley magic wand, we're going to invent them, we're going to sell them on the internet, and you could change what cybersecurity looks like in the future. James Stanger, what does the future of cybersecurity look like? First of all, as a business sort of, and I say business, I work a lot with government folks and I'll use the term business and they'll go, Hey, we're the government. I'm like, business is just my lame way of using a word improperly to describe what you're doing. First of all, wouldn't it be nice if we've been talking about it for decades, that we could bake security in to our procedures at the beginning for all that talk that still hasn't happened. So if I could wave the wand, how about bringing more IT and cybersecurity professionals in, not just on the day one and then escort them out of a new project, of a marketing or a research and development project, but if cybersecurity professionals were really truly folded into the uh, business of the organization at hand. But that would be one thing that I would very much like to see. And that part of that wand is not just, hey, let those cybersecurity folks in the door uh, they've been waiting and they're ready, but also we need to prepare those cybersecurity folks more for entering into that business room too. You, you, got, you know what I mean, Chris and, and Ron? I, I just think it's- No, absolutely. hundred percent. And and so I'm sure some people might walk away and go, baking security, gee, I never heard that before. But most companies still haven't heard that. <laughs> that's why we're dealing with downstream issues in regards to everything. And that's why so many companies- I shouldn't say so many, but a lot of companies are hesitating using emerging tech. And it's not because they think, oh, to use AI, I'd have to hire somebody from MIT or from Oxford or University of Tokyo. Can't afford it. It's not that. They're really more worried about the implications. And I think if I could make security workers think in terms of implications, I, I think the world would be a little bit more secure for us all. Yeah. Fantastic. That was a perfect answer. James, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the mics with us today. For the folks that want to keep up with you and all the things that you have going on with CompTIA, what are the best ways that people can do that? 
I, I do update my Twitter account every once in a while. J-A-M-E-S-S-T-A-N-G-E-R. I think I spelled that right. James Stanger on Twitter. Also LinkedIn. Uh, Google James Stanger. I live in the Puget Sound area of Washington State in the U.S. LinkedIn's another way that I'll often communicate things. And then I'll do a blog. Uh, I contribute to the blog fairly regularly at CompTIA. So you could Google CompTIA's blog as well. Thanks for asking, Chris. Yeah, we'll be sure to put all of that in the show notes for everyone to check out your LinkedIn, Twitter. And I'd also recommend everyone to check you out on YouTube. You have tons of videos that you've done with many organizations, all great resources. And we'll drop some of those in the show notes also. I suppose I should have mentioned YouTube, but we do a lot of stuff at CompTIA. Also other organizations. Yeah. I, I, I Sorry for the old jokes, but I've got a great face for radio. So sometimes I forget about all the video. <laughs> I do a lot of those. <laughs> Thanks, Ron, for bringing that up. Love that. All right, James, thanks again for joining us on this podcast. Learned a bunch and we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.